My name is Sally Hellingston, and I am the chapter president of Women's Energy Network Colorado. WENCO provides networking and leadership opportunities for women and men working in the energy industry. This podcast is dedicated to sharing stories of leaders who have shown resiliency in their career, their personal life, and even their communities. We hope these episodes inspire resiliency in your own life. So let's do this. This episode is sponsored by Orion Strategies, who has asked us to highlight the American Red Cross. Clara Barton, one of the most honored and resilient women in American history, founded the American Red Cross in 1881. Nearly 140 years later, the Red Cross still relies on resilient women, like those from the Tiffany Circle, which is a community of engaged women leaders who advance the American Red Cross mission through philanthropy and volunteerism. Today, the Red Cross shelters, feeds, and provides emotional support to victims of disasters. It supplies about 40% of the nation's blood and teaches skills that save lives, provides international humanitarian aid, and supports military members and their families. The Red Cross is a not-for-profit organization that depends on volunteers and the generosity of American public to perform its mission. To learn more and become involved, please visit them online at www.redcross.org. So today we have guests Brittany Ramos and Amber Vineyard, both who are senior account executives with Ryan Strategies, which is a strategic communications and public relations firm that serves clients both regionally and nationally. And, you know, I said this before, I think you two are experts in my mind on communication. So hopefully you will give some great insight to our listeners today about the value of communications and um, why it's needed in every part of your life. So thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Um, Well, let's kick off a little bit uh, with telling our audience a little bit about each of you. Um, Amber, if you want to go first and kind of give the history of who you are, where you're from, and and why you got into helping people communicate, that would be lovely. Sure. So um, Amber Vineyard, and I have been with Orion Strategies for almost nine years now. Um, I moved to West Virginia 11 years ago from California. Um, I graduated from a um, small liberal arts college, uh, Davis and Elkins College here in West Virginia, um, with a major in marketing and communications. So I fell right into uh, what I had went to school to do. And uh, now I try to advise people what they should do and how they should communicate. And sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't. And we take recourse and action uh, accordingly. Uh, Brittany, what's what's your story? Uh, well, the first thing you should know is if you just listen to Amber, life will be much better for you. So that should be a recurring theme throughout the podcast. Um, but yeah, my name is Brittany Ramos. I'm uh, from the Pittsburgh area. Went to school at Penn State University for my undergrad. Um, I thought I was going to be a biology teacher. Like I was a bio major my first year and a half and then a forensic science major. And then finally, a public relations and psychology double major. And that makes no sense to most people. I really enjoy science and data. Turns out I hate organic chemistry. And I think I found my calling when, um, you know, what you'd have to write a, a report after you do all of these things in your four hour chem lab. And the only thing I liked were titrations, which basically turns things different colors. The rest of it didn't interest me. I loved writing the lab reports, not so much doing like the calculations and figuring crap out. And I realized communication really was more of what I was interested in and ended up there. I started my career with 
Cabot Oil and Gas Corporation. They are one of the top natural gas producers in the country in external affairs. And after seven years there, I joined Orion Strategies about two years ago to help them open a Pittsburgh shop. Um, and it's been a lot of fun uh, going from in-house communications to being the contractor. And so it's given me an opportunity not only to work intimately with oil and gas, but also to see you know other things because there's apparently more to life than just like energy and oil and gas. Who knew? Um, so it's been an interesting ride and one I've enjoyed very much so far. So let's now that we know a little bit about your guys' backgrounds and have obviously shown that you guys are experts, let's let's tell our audience a little bit more about um, communications in general. You know, when we first started talking about this podcast, we were talking about the the Wenco theme, which is be resilient this year, be resilient in your personal life, in your professional life, and in your community. And when we were talking, we realized that there's types of communication for every part of your life. People are born communicating. Um, babies scream uh, when they want something. They don't have words yet. Um, we we have facial expressions, body language. <laughs> um, and there's, there's multiple ways of communication that happen pretty instantaneously in life. And then we just learn to develop how to use those communications um, and translate that into words, um, emails, interactions. Um, I think of uh, the Buddhist monks who take the vow of silence and they're still, they're, you know, all advanced in age and still very effective at communicating um, what they want, need um, and, and everything else. But, you know, whether it be email or a phone call or even a text message or Facebook update, um, the, the real key to communicating is uh, just being clear, concise, knowing who your audience is. Um, and maybe on Facebook, you don't care. But if you're communicating on behalf of a company, um, knowing who your audience is, tar- targeting your message to, to such. And um, you know, if you're communicating in your personal life, people can't assume always what you mean just by the words. Um, your actions say a lot of other things, as does your body language or your, your facial expressions. Yeah, I just had a flashback to my father saying, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And um, I mean, communication, it, it, it always gets thought of, of, you know, the verbal side of it. But the reality is, I mean, folks who are hard of hearing or who are deaf or who are mute or who have other, um, you know, ways of, of communicating, it's not always verbal. A lot of it's visual. A lot of it is the first five seconds of looking at someone who's doing a presentation in front of you. Um, it's eye contact. It's not eye contact. It's rolling your eyes, which I have told been told sometimes is an issue on my end. I sometimes worry they're just going to pop right out of my head. Um, you know, communication, it's, it's everything. And to Amber's point, like we are born doing it. Animals communicate to one another to all types of different degrees. Um, you know, I think about like an octopus, depending on what color it turns, it is telling you something there. I mean, it is amazing to, if you actually just look at life that way. Um, and I really do think communications gets a real bad rap. Uh, it's a liberal arts degree and it doesn't really matter. And I mean, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic health crisis and there are social justice issues. And you can't tell me that communications aren't playing a massive role in every single thing we see and say and, and read and do. Um, so, you know, you can't live without it. And the reality is communication, because of the fact that technology continues to advance, we'll continue seeing different types of communication to evolve. Um, like I think, you know, internet speak, that's one. 
then you think about things like virtual reality or augmented reality, which is slightly different. Like we are always going to be um, developing new ways to get ideas across and some are better than others. Some can be used in conjunction with others, but um, I honestly think it's really amazing. If you think just like a hundred years ago, how different it is now compared to then. Like it's, it's amazing to think what it'll be like a hundred years from now. So, uh, you know, Amber, you mentioned um, strong, clear communication. What are some of the, the keys and tips for strong, clear communication, regardless of the type of communication? So I think one of the, the biggest things that I would say is uh, before any type of communication is to really just check in with yourself. Um, you know, a lot of times communication comes from a place of passion um, or misunderstanding. And, and even those that are well-educated or knowledgeable about a topic um, can have that fiery passion come through or not understand why someone doesn't understand um, what they're trying to explain. So, um, you know, check in with yourself. What, what are you trying to explain? What is the message that you're trying to get across? Um, and, and with that, one of my things that I have tried to practice, I heard it before, but is... Um, in checking in with yourself before responding to someone, especially if you're upset or passionate, you know, uh, have you eaten? Are you thirsty? Do you need a nap? Have you counted to 10? Um, Brittany actually witnessed me go through that checklist earlier this morning. Um, <laughs> as I was working through a communication misunderstanding. Um, well, that's but, a really nice way to put that a communication understanding. <laughs> what it comes down to, right? Um, so it, you know, you check in with yourself, but then also remember that there's another person on the end of, other end of that communication. Um, just because it's your message, uh, doesn't mean that that person's going to get it or that person's going to understand. Um, so how are they receiving it? What is their response? What is their body language? Um, and, and really monitoring that as the, the conversation goes on. Yeah. And I think building off of that, like, Whatever you're communicating, if you yourself are communicating something, either personally or uh, professionally on behalf of a client, the message starts internally with you. But you also need to keep in mind, you know, how you're communicating, what you're saying, you know, all of those things that Amber just said, you have to keep in mind, it's not always about you. Like, you may think that this is important, or you may think that everyone else should be as passionate but it's also about the receiver of the message. So make sure that whatever you're communicating, you can break it down 17 different ways or use different language. Um, generally, a, a rule of thumb in communications um, that we're taught in school is you should communicate at an eighth grade reading level if you're trying to talk to, quote, the general public, because you need to understand that not everyone has a PhD. Or if you are speaking to everyone who has a PhD, you better be using the terms and the jargon that match. So it's about your message, but it's also about the receiver in crafting that message. So it, it, it's a little counterintuitive that like you have to be thinking about how it lands so early on, but in really good communication, that matters. And again, there's other things we'll be doing too, like you have your body language and, and maybe that'll soften the blow. Like maybe you have a smile while you're delivering something and they know that you're joking. Um, it really... It, you can't communicate in a bubble. And I think you see a lot of people um, and also companies get in trouble when they're just talking at someone. No one wants to be talked at. That's a terrible feeling when someone's just like berating you and telling you the things you should do. And this is what the way it is. Communication, you need to have kind of a give and take. And it's that dance of 
giving information, receiving information, modifying your message and having that type of conversation, whatever it looks like, if it's nonverbal. I mean, Amber and I, at one point we had a staff meeting and I guess something dawned on us at the same time. And we both looked up across this long table with all of our other colleagues. And I like quirked an eyebrow and she shook her head. And I was like, oh, I got that. And our boss watched this and was like, I have no idea what just happened, but I think you just had a whole conversation. Yeah, we did. And it was able to happen even without words. So again, just keep in mind who you're talking to. And Amber and I could have that conversation. If I tried that with one of my other colleagues, it may not go down the exact same way. In fact, it probably wouldn't, although it would be fun to try sometimes. So I'm going to add that to my list. (laughs) Well, I'll add on to that. Sorry, Sally, um, is that, you know, in that same vein is we often have mental conversations as well. Um, So I can be really terrible sometimes um, when I'm in the shower, I'll have like a mental argument with someone of like how I think this conversation is going to go and I'll get all worked up and fired up beforehand. And then I enter the conversation um, and I'm prepared for them to respond one way and they respond something entirely different and I'm caught off guard. And in my trying to like prove my point, I've completely missed what they've said. So, you know, there's also a point where you have to listen to what someone else is telling you and not be prepared to respond. Just take in that message from them as well. It's really hard. One thing I've noticed about myself that I am trying to work on is um, one, the listening thing, because I think, you know, I I do get a little fired up sometimes and you start thinking about like, I'm going to respond in this way when you're not listening to the whole thing. Like maybe they're actually saying this, but then apologizing or making it better after and you've missed that whole last part, right? How do you kind of settle your mind on that and really train yourself to be a better listener? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, are there like exercises? Is it therapy? Like, (laughs) I I always advise therapy. Um, Just in general, it's a, it's a, a good practice. But for me, it's just actively telling myself, no, listen, like, or, you know, making a note and putting it to the side. But this person is talking to me. Let me listen to what they have to say. Take two, three seconds afterwards to formulate your response and then respond. Yeah. And um, so speaking of therapy, um, I also advocate for therapy. It's just helpful to have someone who has no idea about you listen to you and get things off your chest. However, um, it applies to everything. Um, one of the examples, um, sometimes I find myself, so um, in the oil and gas industry and in communications, you need to be prepared for the eventuality that something will blow up. It, like, I mean, physically will blow up and you're going to need to mitigate that. You're going to need to communicate that. So I come from a mindset. My initial mindset is always damage control, like go worst case, be prepared for worst case and walk yourself back off the cliff. Because if you're prepared for worst case, you're not going to be surprised and it's going to be fine. Now, is that a super helpful skill to have for my job and for certain clients? Absolutely. Is that a super helpful skill to have when I'm arguing with myself in the shower about a conversation? Not necessarily. Um, So it's about identifying things. And thank God bless my therapist for that, because that's something that, I mean, do I know I do it? Yes. But in having conversations, I realize it leads into my personal life more than it should. Like I'm getting spun up in my head about something when 
I should just wait and see what the next point is. And don't get mad about the situation. Listen to the conversation and see where it goes. One of the things that I found helpful, um, it's a part of the active listening skills that I think have been preached a million times in some soft skill training. You may have had it at your company or at, at a college student. Um, you know, in addition to actually like making eye contact and nodding and all of those things, one of the things I find helpful is repeating back to someone what they said as you interpreted it. And I do this a lot at work. Um, I do it to a lesser extent in my personal life, but I'm trying what, you know, Sally, you'll tell me something and I will pause and say, okay, so what I understand you are saying is, is this correct? And that actually helps eliminate a lot of misunderstanding that can happen um, in between what you are telling me, what I'm interpreting, and then what I'm going to do. So sometimes, you know, that's a great skill to use in, in management of teams and working with other human beings. Um, but it's also helpful for your sanity. Like, let me just make sure I got this. Like, you aren't calling my mother a whore. Okay, great. We're perfect. That's great. Um, or you so, might be, but in a different language. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's why I love talking to the ladies from the Southern chapters. Every time someone drops a bless her heart, I'm like, ooh, that's really bad. But again, that's the type of communication, right? What they say is so nice. Like, bless her heart. But it does not mean oh, what a lovely person. It is not that at all. So again, reframing and, and having that conversation. And it, 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 I think the other person appreciates that too. They feel heard and validated when their message gets across like, oh, great. Or it gives them an opportunity to correct the message they were trying to tell you in the first place. Well, and, and going back a little bit to what you said earlier about knowing each other well enough to be able to do a wink and a nod or excuse me, an arch and a nod. Um, how, like, if you are not in the position with somebody to understand or, or be that understanding of each other and to know each other that well, what are some recommendations you have about the best ways to get to that point? I think it's about being open to being flexible. Like, and that sounds ridiculous, like being open to being flexible versus being flexible. Everyone has the ability to be flexible. In my estimation, people can people can change. I believe that people can change the way they do big things, small things, all of these things. But being open to that possibility is different. So it's the idea that when I meet with a client, and that's a great example, onboarding a client is I have all of these resources and all of these tools for communications. How do you want to get reports? How is best to communicate? Do you want to do you want an email? Do you want a phone call? Do you want a text message? Do you want a Zoom meeting? Um, it's starting very broad and just asking. Sometimes asking is the easiest way, um, and it'll help narrow down the preferred forms of communication. And everyone starts there. Anytime you meet a new human being, you're figuring each other out and seeing what makes sense. Some people are very sarcastic. Uh, some people have a very dry sense of humor. Some people don't have a sense of humor and that's not a knock on them. It's just the point. Like they are very business. They don't want to hear about your kids. They don't want to hear about what's going on external to work. That's fine too. Some of my clients, we spend five minutes before every call catching up and asking about each other's lives outside of the universe. But being open to that, I think really helps in our line of business because you want to connect with people. Like we're forming real connections. It's not surface level. In communications, it's very evident when people are plastering on the smile and the voice. You all know the voice, the voice where someone's like, oh yeah, that's lovely. Uh-huh. Like that very like, it's all good versus going deeper. And in my experience, being honest and authentic is important. Now, do I drop an F-bomb at every meeting? I try not to. Um, but it's the point that like you do need to show some genuine interest. And that part of that is making sure that you are showing to the other person you care about what they think and what they need, especially as it comes to communicating. So one of the things that we, we touched about it briefly, but I'd love to hear some examples from you two about 
the different ways of communicating in your professional life, personal life, and community. I, I mean, I can rip the Band-Aid off the, the personal side of the universe. Um, so my husband and I had a very long distance relationship. We met at college and he was from a different state. Um, so we lived independently until he came to live in Pittsburgh because I wasn't moving to New Jersey. The work was here. So he came here, he transferred to a different office and we lived together for the first time, like really lived together. And you discovered very quickly that very similar to the conversations you have in the shower with yourself, you, at least I am constantly like, and this gets into like the idea of like the second shift work and how, you know, household chores and whatnot, but like, oh, I need to change that light bulb or I need to wash the dishwasher. Well, when I live by myself, I'm saying that to myself or making a list and I'm not communicating it. Now all of a sudden I have another human being in the house with me who is making, you know, double the mess and double the dishes and all of these things that need to be done and burning out light bulbs faster. Um, and what we discovered very quickly is we do this thing called Tom Hanksing, like Tom Hanks and Castaway when it's him and, and he's just on this island by himself, shipwrecked. Um, and for the first like half of the movie, he didn't say anything. He just goes about his business and does his life. And then eventually he finds the volleyball and puts his handprint on it and names it Wilson and starts talking to Wilson. So my husband and I have used this as the example of like, don't Tom Hanks the situation. Don't just say things to yourself and just do them. Because what happens is in my head, I walk past the pile of dirty dishes, say, oh, I'll get to those later in my brain. Don't communicate them with my husband who's like, later on myth that I didn't do it. Like, did you not see the pile of dirty dishes? And it just causes a lot of extra friction that you don't need. So um, it's just, it, for us, that was that was one a, a big learning curve, but it's about getting out of your own head. And like, you communicate yourself all the time, generally speaking, and it's not in a like creepy way. It's just your brain is, is, is going through checklists and you're doing things. You got to verbalize that or at least write it down somewhere. We have a whiteboard now that really helps things. Like I am going to do this later. It's just the little things and they make such a difference. Like all of a sudden, I don't worry about running the vacuum. Oh, he has that. He told me. Okay, great. I would say on the professional front, I actually have um, a really fantastic story that I was working through this morning on this. So like prime opportunity for an example here um, <laughs> is just acknowledging or keeping in mind people's different communication style. Um, do they need something verbally? Do they need something written? Do you have to show them visually? Is it a combination thereof? Like maybe you verbalized it and they need a follow-up email and then you still have to send a screenshot. Um, I've always heard women's minds are like spaghetti and men are like waffles. I don't think it's just a gender specific thing. I'll go into that. But, you know, some people's minds are like spaghetti and where there's just a whole bunch of a million different thoughts just going all at the same time. And they're all going every which direction, but they're all connected. So like where Brittany was like, okay, I'm doing this. And that made me think of the dishes, which makes me think I need to go vacuum, but oh, I need to go to the store to get light bulbs. And like, whereas some people are very much like, like a waffle, like I'm vacuuming right now. Oh, the dishes need done. Like, and they just move through their life like that. Now to get to my actual example. So I'm working through a, a video project with our, our creative team and creative people are, have a very unique way of communicating. And I was giving some edits and some feedback and I was writing down, typing out what that feedback was. And to me, it was pretty straightforward, pretty black and white. Put this text here, make this text appear at this point you know, fade this text out. And um, they did what I asked, but not what I had pictured in my brain. 
Um, so the text all appeared when it was supposed to appear, but it appeared in a bulleted lines. And I was like, no, each line needs to appear at a different time on a different spot. Okay. Well, one line would come in and then it would go away. And then the next line would come in and it would go away. And then the next line. So it was, but it was still, they were each in their own individual spots, just not in the same place as the very first line. So I finally just took a screenshot and was like, put this phrase here and made a little box on, on the screenshot. And then the next phrase, I was like, put this phrase here and made another box on the second screenshot. The only question I had after that was, do you want that font? And I'm like, no, I, I just don't have your font. I don't have your fancy editing tools. But, you know, taking into account different people's communication styles, um, you can't get frustrated if they don't communicate the way you communicate. Sometimes you have to adapt. And that goes back to Brittany's point of, of being flexible. You have to adapt. You have to be open to being flexible. Talk a little bit about the community side of communication and the importance of it. So when it comes to communicating to a community in general, so this, I think this applies if you're an elected official, it applies if you're a representative for a company, it applies if you want to get a permit to expand your house and you have to go in front of your HOA, then not. Um, the biggest thing, and it always has to come back to, is making sure that your message resonates with whoever you're talking to. It's a little bit more elevated than just like making sure your message is received. You don't just want the message to be received when it comes to things like voter advocacy or advocacy in general. I mean, you can be an advocate in multiple ways. You need to not only have, make sure that message lands, but it it freaking lights a spark under people and gets them to do an action because you are asking for an outcome. Anytime you're asking for any type of outcome, you better make sure that that message has power, that it has follow-up, and that... After that is done, you come back and talk to them. Um, we're actually running a voter advocacy campaign on behalf of one of our clients um, over in um, our region, Ohio, West Virginia, PA. And the whole messaging strategy we put together, it's around voter advocacy. You know, we talk about leading up to and the deadlines and where to get your ballots. And we are also very much prepared that there are going to be a million different lawsuits at local and federal levels and state levels that are going to change the deadlines and when things are accepted. And we have to be able to communicate that out very timely, very organized and be very professional about it. And then the last bullet I had was, you know, post-election follow-up. And it was just kind of like a moment for them. Like, What's that? Well, you've been asking and imploring and, and begging and telling people, please get registered to vote. Please cast your ballots. Like, make sure you do this. And then you're just going to drop off the face of the earth? Nah. Like, you have to follow up and let them know for any action you ask them to do, not just voter advocacy, anything. You ask someone to do something, follow up and let them know what happened. Like, oh, the piece of legislation was passed thanks to your efforts. Or it wasn't, but here are the next steps. Or thank you for voting here's what we know, here's what we don't know, we expect more to come out maybe, and we'll be in touch whenever. It's setting the table and making sure that you don't lose those advocates down the road. Um, building an advocacy database of people you can reach out to for various different things is actually surprisingly easy. People will volunteer and say, yes, I would like to sign up, or I would like information, or I would like to call into a radio station or write an op-ed or whatever. But it's maintaining those relationships. And that's part of communications, communicating where they are, giving them the information they need, and then letting them know if it was successful or not. And people are so appreciative of that because I feel like that's a step that just gets left off so often. Like, you did this thing. Congratulations. Like that email, it makes you feel good. Like sometimes you just need something great. Or even if you weren't successful in whatever effort, 
let them know that and then pivot to whatever the next message is. It's just making sure like you're valuing the relationship because even if you're, if you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of people or one person, it, you need to show that you value that and that you have some respect for their time and whatever effort that they've put in. Well, and that brings um, up a question that I, I don't know if you guys have the answer to, but I had once heard, is it seven times that somebody needs to see something in order for it to be absorbed or to act on it? Is that accurate? Like seven different ways, or am I making that number up? Yeah. And, and, and tell them once, tell them again, tell them another time, make sure it's 17 different places. Like if you, and I've seen this actually, um, even when within when, you know, for, for a brief time, I served as the national uh, marketing communications person. And it was like, oh, well, we sent an email to communicate X policy. And I'm like, okay, cool. But let's break that down. You have a 26% open rate, which means only 26% of people opened it. Doesn't guarantee they've read the whole thing, let alone click through that link to read everything. So you better send another email. You better mention it in meetings. You better put it on social media. You better have uh, an internal email from the chapter presidents let down, like just using one as the example. Um, I, I think it's very hard to over-communicate stuff, especially when you are around like an issues advocacy type thing, like make sure people know. Now make it as targeted as possible. If someone has already taken action, okay, you don't need to jam it down their throat, but the people who don't know or who have it just making sure you're you're reminding them and providing that information where they can reach it and not putting it behind 17 different things they have to click through. And at that, different tools. Um, Brittany mentioned, you know, having multiple emails or doing social media outreach and a layer of internal communication, you know, but pick up the phone. Do you have volunteers prepared to pick up the phone to make phone calls? Um, do you have signage out there? Are you running television or radio ads? Um, there's... Are you doing... Brittany's done a couple of these, uh, you know, uh, is there an opportunity for a live event to like really draw people in and like pound them with the information without them knowing that they're getting the informational, like subliminal messaging. Um, but having multiple tools at your disposal to communicate and get that message through. That kind of leads into one of the things we um, had down to chat about was the rise of online communication. And whether you like it or not, it is happening. <laughs> so do you, do you mind kind of going over, obviously, the changes that have happened even in just five years, five, you know, as far as the types of communication and maybe even suggesting some of the best ways of communicating through these new online tools? the rise of online culture has really created, um, it's created a new language. Uh, we're talking about TikTok videos. We're talking about GIFs. We're talking about memes, um, different ways of typing. Like if someone types a lowercase letter, a capital letter, a lowercase letter, and like a star and a squiggly line at the end, you know, they're talking like this and like <laughs> different things like that. Um, I'll add a smiley face emoji to appear passive or not appear to be passive aggressive. If I'm like trying to drive my point home, but I'm smiling. So it's okay. <laughs> I think online communication has, has given a new language. Um, and it's also given a new, a, a, a huge slew of um, platforms. You know, we don't just have Facebook, which was the predecessor was MySpace and was far superior, just a personal opinion there. But um, now there's TikTok, there's Instagram, there's Twitter, um, LinkedIn, uh, Pinterest, all of these social media platforms, um, which they 
each have their own language within them as well, right? So uh, you're going to communicate on Facebook different than you would communicate on Twitter because your audience is different because the delivery of the message, you know, you have a limitation on the number of characters that you can use on Twitter. Uh, Instagram is a, a visual platform. Like this is the life that I want people to believe that I'm living. It's so pretty. Look at this amazing sunset from my back porch. So um, online communication for, you know, better or worse, it's here to stay. Um, and it's, it's learning how to communicate on those platforms and also which fights to pick on those platforms, who your audience is. And does it make sense to even be on every platform? I'm going to ask you guys specifically for when Colorado, like we just removed or deactivated our Twitter account because in my mind, Twitter is meant for like instant news, like and retweeting things that are happening immediately. And at least that's what I was understanding of it. And since we don't do that, I was like, we don't have many followers on here. We're not really pushing any content out. Let's just get rid of it. So we've been focusing on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Uh, Is there something else that you think that we should be looking at? I mean, I would love it if you told me we should have a TikTok account. I love the idea of a TikTok account. Um, I think it'd be a really good opportunity to like, here are the powerful women in the industry or, you know, uh, men too. So, yeah. um, and, and short, short snippets, right? Like digestible snippets. Exactly. Um, I wish you guys could see Brittany's face right now because she is looking at us like we are nuts. <laughs> There's so many great trends. Look, look, I'm all for TikTok. I just, how many more days you have before it's deactivated because it's not bought by TikTok? Like, uh, I mean, and I think that's part of the conversation too. It's understanding that not everything's forever. Like, it things come like Vine. I loved Vine. I don't know if anyone remembers Vine here listening or if you're like, what is that lady talking about? It was the original TikTok. It was 10 second clips. Um, and when it first started, they were videos only and you couldn't stop and start. You, whatever you were doing, you had to do it at one cut. And it resulted in some amazing creation, like some ridiculously funny things. And then like it, it got modified and then Twitter purchased it and then Twitter killed it. And now they're actually Vine compilations on YouTube, which sometimes I'll just watch two hours at a time because they're funny but it's gone. And now TikTok has taken its place. And and it not like there was a place to take, but there was a need for something short and, and punchy and ready to go. So um, for when, I mean, you got to go where your audience is. And first of all, I'm going to get on a soapbox that is unrelated to social media. And I'm going to get on this one real quick. When it comes to finding out where your audience is, we've been talking about this, right? So if you're talking to the community, if you're doing better advocacy, you need to know what, what things are important to them. How do you do that? I think that you need to do polling and surveying, right? If you can't talk to every person individually, you should survey on a regular basis. Every WEN chapter should be sending out a survey at the end, right around their annual report, or or not annual report, annual meeting. We should do it from a national level. We should be asking all types of questions on what's the best way to communicate with you? Um, What type of programming do you like? What do you get out of this? What do you wish that you could see? Um, What would help you bring others to the table? So, you know, you want to know what to do? survey your members, right? Like they're going to tell you. And I, we did do that. And we nine people fill out the survey out of our 470 membership base. How many ways did you communicate? Like here, and, and I get that answer all the time, right? I, I'm fighting that battle right now at a national level. Well, no one answers, but you know what? That's nine more answers than you knew before. And if people want to see other stuff, sometimes you have to enact the things that nine people did and be like, thanks to these nine people, this is the direction we're moving. Be sure to stay tuned for our next one. Like it's positive reinforcement. Again, back to advocacy. You took a survey. 
thank you for your time. We're going to use your input to make changes to what we have. And everyone else, it's not it's not being native. It's just, we want your input too. Like we heard from these people, they loved it. We're going to move on. And I'm not trying to pick on you, Sally, for like the whole survey rollout. But every time I hear surveying doesn't work, I'm sorry, but bullshit. Bullshit. I'll call it, I'll call it all day long. If it didn't work, then how do we have political polling? How do we know anything? Why do we test messaging? Everything. I guess my question for that would be like, how do you incentivize people to do this beyond them just feeling like they gave their feedback and are helping? Like, do you believe in like drawings or, you know, fill this out and then I'll give you a hundred million dollars? Oh, absolutely. Um, maybe not. If you're giving me a hundred million dollars, I would like to sign up just exclusively. <laughs> uh, but yeah, incentivize it. If you can be like, yo, we're going to throw a cool Wenco mug your way or I'll send you chippers, whatever it is, whatever thing it is. Um, it's that idea. Like if you can do it, that always helps. We're doing a, a $50 Visa gift card. People will give you feedback for that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, keep your surveys short so that people can answer them and make them meaningful. It, it comes back to meaning. Like acknowledge it, acknowledge it in an email. We survey like as a follow-up to all 400 people. Thank you to those who participated. This is the person who won. All of these answers have leading us to make X, Y, and Z changes. It, it's accountability um, for them to tell you because then they can't say, well, you didn't do anything. No, no, you, you gave me information. Here's what I'm doing with it. And it's accountability for your board too. Like you heard from the membership, like it's hopefully going to help guide like what you're going to do the last half of 2020 or whatever it might be. Um, but people stop filling out surveys when they don't hear what happen. Like if you keep asking them to do shit and you don't tell them what the result was, they're going to stop because there's no reward. There's no, even just entering your name for a raffle to your point is a good incentive for folks like, Oh, but I could win. And that's part of getting the feedback too. Yeah. People are lazy, but they like free shit. No kidding. <laughs> I love free shit. Oh my God. I, Oh, and this is the total sidetrack and it wasn't really free. I did put $20 into a pull tab machine and I won $500. Talk about incentivizing me to continue to go play that damn machine. So let's stay on this because this actually comes back to social media. I, I am shocked at the number of people who don't realize that everything is designed for a reason. So we talk about it sometimes in fast food restaurants, interior designers learn it. McDonald's is designed, the colors are designed for you to get your food, eat it as fast as humanly possible and get out because they want you to buy your food, free up space and get more and more people in. Fine dining establishments are generally designed to make you feel comfortable and it's cushy and different. It's dark lighting. It's dim. There's nothing... Social media is designed the exact same freaking way. Every time you see that little red notification button light up, it is a hit to your serotonin levels. And you're like, oh God, this is phenomenal. And you know why you can tell that? Because now Twitter's sending me things that I didn't sign up for. They're like, you might be interested. And LinkedIn thinks I care about X, Y, and Z. And Facebook is the worst at whatever it might be. So I think folks should know in general, here's a PSA, your brain is being played like a fiddle. They have you, they know they have you, and they're going to keep you. Oh, social media is free. Every one of these things we're talking about is free, but it's not. The time you spend there, the information you're giving, they are farming out your data. They are using it for other things. And the longer they can keep you there and have you filling out, you know, do you know all of the Pittsburgh D's tools and, and quizzes? What's your mother's maiden name? I'm shocked at the number of people who do that one. Like, do you want your bank information stolen? Um, it's all part of a plan, right? And I'm not saying that it's all evil necessarily, but just something to keep in mind. Well, and and to that point, you know, keep us on topic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Facebook just went through a, a huge update. And um, 
Brittany and I both cringed and actually one of the other young, young ladies out of the Pittsburgh office and I were discussing it as well. But the, the target of Facebook very much has changed the audience there. Um, it's gotten older. The younger crowd has kind of migrated away. Um, I, I won't give anyone any titles, but you know, you're looking at your, your McDonald's is closed. So the, the men that might've met at McDonald's for coffee first thing in the morning are now ranting on Facebook. Um, so if you look at the new Facebook design, it's, it's bigger, it's brighter. Everything looks like you've like zoomed in on the page to 150%. It's what my mom's cell phone looks like when she opens the browser. <laughs> so, you know, social media is also adapting to who their audiences are as well. So that's something to pay attention to as too. But I really do like your uh, discussion around following up, even if it was only nine members you know, like follow up and show that you're doing something about it. You know, like, thank you for providing your feedback. This is what we're going to do. We've taken all this into consideration. So then even if people are like, oh, how did I miss that survey? Maybe they'll look for it next time it comes out. And I mean, staying on that topic for one specific, I know like our chapter here in Pittsburgh always has an issue of like, how do we get more people into leadership and how do we get people to be on committees? And like, how do we do that? That's another great tool. Like the people who took the time to answer clearly care. So maybe it's a follow-up conversation, like especially now, like, hey, um, thanks so much for your feedback. We're going to implement it. Do you have time for a 15-minute coffee? You would like to pick your mind on some other things. And it's just, again, it's a lot easier when you only have nine people. I mean, I know it's only nine, but when you only have nine, think of what you can do with that. You automatically go from quantitative data with a lot of people responding to qualitative and getting really meaningful um, conversations going that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Also, this comes back to like <laughs> the, the concise messaging, right? So, um, especially right now where everyone is getting a deluge of emails, um, how I know my spam filter on my email has like someone gave it steroids because there's stuff that I want, but it goes into my junk folder and I have to constantly check my junk and my spam folder for that. So, you know, is your um, subject line topical? Um, is it something that is going to grab attention? Not just like, hey, here's another reminder, but like open me, you could win something. Um, and then is the information in there? Do you have like an entire month's worth of stuff that just scrolls on forever? Or is it like win a $100 Visa gift card, complete this survey? Like someone would be like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to get and what I have to do. So it's always like that balancing of short and concise with more emails to get you the information we need to, or one email to get you all with all of the content. It's like that balance. It's, it's, you have so different audiences. This is, this is the thing I've heard. I've, I've been part of organizations that are like, well, we send too many emails and we don't want to clutter your inbox. Is it information I need to know? then you should send it. What the format is, it doesn't matter. Like, but you should not be afraid to send information because a lot of things are happening. If you have to communicate, sure. But then again, follow up different ways. Mention it on a call. Mention it during a happy hour if you're having it in person or virtually. Like it's taking the threads of communication and tying them together. That's really, I mean, first of all, communication in general shouldn't just be like a shotgun approach. Like God bless you spray, pray, and maybe it'll hit something. Um, but when you are able to integrate things in different ways, that's real where things really get cool when you're seeing different things and people are seeing it. Maybe one person saw it because you posted it on Facebook and another person had someone forward them an email or someone else was on a happy hour and heard you mention it. Um, like those are, you know, you sh I argue that you should send it. If it's important, you should send it um, and then send it again in a different way. And if it, if, if 
if it's a concern about too many emails, then maybe the question is overall, are there other things that we need to be communicating differently too? And, and communication is always going to change. What works this year? Isn't going to work next year. Shit. What works this year did not work last year. Um, we're on Zoom right now. I didn't have a Zoom account until March 14th when everything went to hell, right? So you're, you can't set it and forget it. Communication always needs to be revised. And that's why getting that feedback is so important because it helps guide you. So we've talked about overall communication, communicating in different aspects of your life the um, kind of the the rise of online communication, et cetera. What, um, now that we're moving more to this virtual world, which you just alluded to with the Zoom account, Brittany, um, what are the pitfalls or and or opportunities with the, sh- the shift that we're seeing to virtual communications? There are a lot of opportunities um, to engage people in different ways. So for example, Ryan is a good example. We have offices all over Ohio, PA and West Virginia. And for a while, you know, the massive human beings were in one office and in Amber's office in Buchanan. And they have the advantage of being able to like walk down a hallway and talk to people and have groups and have conversations. Well, especially when this whole pandemic started, we were all all the way out. And using, you know, for us, switching to Teams or Zoom or whatever video conferencing, it wasn't that hard for this office because we were already doing it. We were already having to communicate to another office hundreds of miles away. For other people, it was challenging because they were very much used to going down the hall and talking to the graphic designers that were there. Um, So it's an opportunity that people can work from wherever, that you can feel freed up in what you want to do, but it's it's not an inherent knowledge. A lot, I mean, can everyone please mute themselves? Can you see my screen? Like these are the phrases we hear day in and day out, but it's a learning curve because it's a whole new set of technology. Every different one is different. And it's just understanding like, especially being, I think overall, the people I dealt with were very patient. Like I've seen more cats and dogs and kids than I have in my entire career. And I've gotten to know people, but everyone's very patient in the beginning of understanding we need to figure this out together. And it worked. I don't think the shift to, to, to work from home to being this distant would have taken a long, long time for it to be acceptable to work from home. I think this pandemic has definitely escalated that procedure way faster. People are reconsidering their, their office plans. If you can do work just as effectively at home, why do I need to have office space, right? So I don't know. There's pros and cons to everything. And it's unfortunately, right now, everything's really heightened. So you're seeing them in real time. Yeah, I would say um, as far as opportunities, uh, it gives you a real chance to hone your message. You know, we talked about everyone getting a whole slew of emails at the same time everyone's on social media all day because they're at home. And so they just have Facebook in the background with the little notifications popping up. So there's a lot of information coming at people quickly. So in that, you really have to hone and focus your message down uh, and be concise, relay what you want to relay relay what is important and understand what's important to people. As far as uh, cons, my biggest downfall is multitasking. Uh, With virtual events, I can have it on one screen or over on half of my screen or be listening with the headphones while I'm typing up a document or a report for a client. And, you know, I'm I'm listening, but I'm not actively listening. And there's so many times where I'm like, oh, I'm so excited about this, this virtual event, this presentation. And, and at the same token, we get into it and it's not as exciting as I thought, or that particular part isn't ex- as exciting as I thought it was going to be. So I kind of tune out and you know, then I'll hear something that was. And I'm like, oh, I missed that. I guess I'll wait for the recording to be emailed around. 
and then I delete the recording. So it's like, it's this whole, like, you know, it, opportunity to hone your message, make sure you're a good speaker, make sure you deliver well, if you are doing virtual events. Um, but also multitasking is a huge downfall, uh, to, to these virtual events. I thought this was an excellent discussion and, and hopefully everybody gets a little something from it. Um, again, whether they're using it in their professional life, personal life, or their community. Um, so let's move on to these speed rounds. Uh, Amber, I'll let you answer first, followed by Brittany. Um, so the first one is, do you prefer texting or talking? Texting. Talking. What was your favorite concert? Uh, Pentatonics. Foo Fighters. If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Don't sacrifice yourself for anyone. Eat the food and do the thing. Uh, dye your hair purple. <laughs> what are the three words you would use to brand yourself? Um, Spunky, competitive, and tenacious. Dynamic, versatile, and mirthful. What gives you resilience? Hope. Uh, right now, Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for hanging out with us. Make sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next episode. And if you liked this one, please rate and review it. And don't forget to keep in touch with us on social media by searching When Colorado on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And until next time, stay resilient.